um, we need to know and believe and trust that God is who he says he is. And in these times, if, if we're alone or if we're going through things, we have to know that God is there with us. And the trouble, even in Christian circles, a lot of people, because they haven't grown up with a good father or something that, you know, they've had bad experiences, they don't have a good revelation of who Father God is. You know, some people think that God is in heaven holding this huge bat and he's just waiting for somebody to mess up. And that's been our perception of God. Or that, you know, he's just this nice little old man that kind of shuffles around heaven and doesn't doesn't do anything. He kind of just oversees everything. Or, or that God's a mean and angry person because he just kills people all the time. You know, how many say, you know, well, why did God cause that? Or he's schizophrenic. He's happy one day and then he's not happy the next day. So these are all misconceptions of God. So... Once we get a revelation that God is who he is, he truly cares about us as an individual, then we can really begin to understand God and we can have the peace of God, the joy of God, and the love of God in our hearts. But we have to understand it and God and his character before we can do that. Because you've got to understand who you've put your trust in. Amen? You know, if you're married, you have to put your trust in your spouse. Amen. You have to know who they are to trust them. You can't just, you know, you've got to be able to trust. So our first comforting certainty tonight is that God loves each one of us. And it's it's so elementary, but sometimes we forget that God loves us personally. Sometimes we think God loves everybody else but us. We don't really claim that for our own. We think everybody else, but God doesn't love me. Or God doesn't love me as better, as good as anybody else. But that's not true. God loves all of us, and he loves us very deeply. And then he gave us a choice whether we want to love him back or not. So John 3:16 and 17, it's very familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I think verse 17 is just as important as verse 16. He didn't send Jesus here to condemn the world. Jesus came to show us God and his character. Jesus healed the sick. He delivered the the ones who needed deliverance. He encouraged the sinner to follow him, and he taught spiritual truths. By his words and by his deeds, he demonstrated who God is. And Jesus showed us the Father through his actions. And the Pharisees hated it. They hated it. And the religious people today hate it. They hated Jesus because they didn't fit his conception of God, which was hard, harsh, and mean. That was the Pharisees. They were hard, harsh, and mean. And that was their perception of who God was. They wanted Jesus to whip the common people into shape. They wanted Jesus to, Jesus, you know, tell them that they've got to do this and they've got to do that and that. You know, berate them for their sinful behaviors. Tell them how wrong they are. You know, tell them how right we are. And beating them down, telling them they weren't following the rules. Who does this sound like? 
I mean, my goodness, we just had somebody on Thursday say, you know, you must do this. But in fact, Jesus only berated the religious people because their behavior was out of line, not the people. They had a, the religious people were giving people a distorted view of God by their actions. And, you know, religion has killed more people's faith than anything else. We go back to, for God so loved the world. Can you imagine how frustrated God must be when the people who are supposed to represent him are turning people away because of their hard attitudes? You know, we can do more damage, and it caused Jesus even to cry out in frustration and make it very plain who he was representing, and we see it in John 45 and 46. Jesus cried and he said, He that believes on me believes believes not on me, but on him that sent me. And I was sitting at my computer. I read that and I just started to cry. And I, I'm going to read it to you again. He said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that has sent me. And he that sees me sees him that sent me. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And he, the, the people of that day, they didn't get it. They didn't see it. And I'm sure he was frustrated. God was a mystery to most people before Jesus appeared. He only appeared to what? Kings, priests, and prophets. And the common man had to come and they had to listen to the kings, priests, and prophets. They had to listen to other people to find out about God. But Jesus was getting ready to make a new way so that we could all hear from Jesus. We could all have a personal relationship. God, Jesus showed us God the Father, a Father who has infinite care and concern for every one of us. How do we know that? Read what Jesus did. He healed the sick. He delivered those that needed deliverance. He helped the sinner. That's how we know who God the Father is. We look at Jesus. And once we really understand Jesus then we really know and understand the love of God. Remember John 6, 3, 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And that's God's character. He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to berate you. He's not here to beat you. He's here to love you. He's here to implore you. If you're on the wrong path, he's here to try to pick you up, to dust you off and to get you on your feet again, but he's not mad at you where you're at. So, you know, that's God's character. He wants to save the world. Doesn't push people, doesn't prod them. He just reveals the truth to us. He entreats us. The Holy Spirit entreats us. He draws us. He helps us. It's it's worse to get a rebuke from God than it is to get a personal rebuke from somebody who you can see because he does it in that still small voice a lot of times with me and it's like oh I'm sorry God and that's even worse than somebody really just yelling at you he helps us out all the time he puts his hand out every single day to us and we have to believe that he loves us D.L. Moody said this he said the trouble is with us we are all the time trying to measure God's love with our own love. 
So our love is here. God's love is here. But we keep looking at God the way we see ourselves. And so we fall short in really understanding who God is. But God is love. The Bible says God is love. In John 12:46 through 50, Jesus said, I am come I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hears my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father has said unto me, so I speak. So he speaks only what God tells him to speak. And that should be every one of our prayers. God, just help me to speak what you tell me to speak. How many, that would just save, it'd save a lot of trouble sometimes, wouldn't it? Comforting certainty number two. We can be certain that Jesus is the Son of God, and that if we see Jesus for who he is, then we have seen God the Father. So we have to reveal, we have to understand that Jesus is part of the tri- the Trinity. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said in, in John fourteen six through 10, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And that's kind of a, a reoccurring theme in these scriptures. If you know Jesus, you'll know God. See, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. There is no other alternative way. There's not a plan B for salvation. Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and you have seen him. So he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how say you then, show us the Father? Sometimes we do that to Jesus. He's clear that the Father and I are one, and then we say, Well, I'd sure like to just see God just once. And he's saying, I've just told you, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's just something, just meditate on that. You know, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. We don't physically see Jesus now, but we will see him. And he said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake, because he does the works of the Father. The Apostle Paul, who murdered believers, and then he became converted. I mean, so he had a long rap. He had a long rap sheet, didn't he? Murdered people, scared, scared Christians. But look what he could say. And about God's love in Romans 8:38 and 39. For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can somebody who was so bad know such a deep love from God and be convinced of it? Well, because he knew Jesus. And he knew God because he knew Jesus. Comforting certainty number three. We can be certain that God's presence will be with us always, even if we cannot see or feel him. We know he's there because we believe his word. See, the word trumps our feelings. The word trumps our emotions. The word trumps everything. If it says it in the word, that's what we need to believe. We need to get our emotions under control. You know, we can't keep saying, God, where are you? Where are you? And he's saying, I'm right here. Even though we don't see him, even though we can't feel him, he's there with us all the time. And I'm going to prove it to you. He assured Moses in Exodus 33:14 that his presence would go with him and he would give Moses peace. God then assured Moses in Deuteronomy 20 that he would go with Israel in their battle with other nations. Deuteronomy 20, 1 through 4 says, When you go out to a battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and a people more than you, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And it can say the same thing today when you see the horses, the chariots, and things arrayed around you, whether it's sickness, disease, whether it's mandates, whatever it is, when you see that, don't be afraid of them. The Lord thy God is with you. He's with you. He's with you all the time. He's our ever-present help in time of need. And it shall be when you come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is he that goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. God is fighting for us right now. No matter what is happening, God is fighting for us. He promised us in Psalm 34:18 to be near those who are brokenhearted. He promises he will be with us when we call out to him. Psalm 145:17 through 20. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. Nigh means near. The Lord is near unto all of them that call upon him. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon him. There's a condition there. If you don't call upon him, you're not going to know that he's near to you. You need to call upon the Lord. Some of us just want to get in our little, we, we just had to take our, do, our cat to the vet today because she's just been acting a little strange for her. I mean, cats are, can be strange. But, you know, she was kind of curled up and by herself. And sometimes we get like that. We just curl up. We just go by ourselves. And we just say, you know, well, you don't even want to talk to God. Forget about talking to people you can see. You don't even want to talk to God. You get into that condition. 
But I'm telling you again, the Lord is near unto all of them that call upon him. Call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord when you're in trouble. He's right there with you. We can be certain of that. It says, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all that love him, but of the wicked he will destroy. That's a promise. That's a promise. Everything that's going on in this nation, in this world, God is going to take care of the wicked. Don't you worry about it. You know, there we may face persecution. We may face a few things, but they're not getting by with what they're doing. They may get by. You may be able to rig this and do that and cover that and do that, but they're not getting by. God's taking note of everything, and he just said it here. The wicked he will destroy. So we got to be on the side of the righteous. Amen? Hebrews 13:5 from the Amplified. I like this um, particular version. It says, "Let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money, shun greed, be financially ethical, being content with what you have. For he has said, I will never under any circumstance desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless." Nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. God will always hold us. He'll always uphold us. We need to trust him. We need to call on him. We need to be assured that he loves us. We need to be assured that he's got our best interest in mind. Amen. Comforting certainty number four. Because of his promises, we can be assured that we are totally and completely forgiven. And I might do that sermon that I'm working on, the message about the dead branches. I keep like kind of teasing about it, but we're going to get to it. We're getting to it. The price has been paid for what we have done. There is nothing else that we can do to make What we did, more forgiven and less horrible. You can't do anything about what's past. Jesus paid it all. To to not be certain of this nearly nullifies our salvation. You have got to be certain that you're totally forgiven, that your past is under the blood. If you've totally repented, okay, there is a caveat there. Like if you're playing around and, you know, you just come down to the front and you're really not serious about, salvation and you don't pursue God, you know, and you're just playing around, then that's different. But if you've really made a profession and Jesus Christ is Lord, then he's totally forgiven you. He's wiped out the past. But the devil has a way of bringing it up all the time. And some people just like to, they like to hold on to their past like a badge. You know, if you were in Girl Scouts, Girl Scouts or I don't know, Boy Scouts, if they did badges. But I know in Girl Scouts you had to do certain things and then you get a little badge for your sash. And um, sometimes we like to have those badges, those wound badges that we just put on our sashes and carry them around. And, you know, how bad of a person we were and we just can't let go of this. And 
you know, we just can't let go of our past and our hard life and everything else. Well, Jesus paid the price for everything. And what he said was we were all desperately wicked. So, you know, you're in good company. Everybody in this room used to be desperately wicked. But now we're blood-bought. We're free. We're set on a solid rock. Amen. That past is done. It's over. It's over with. Stop stop going over your mind how you can do it. Could have done it differently. You know, you can't. We, we're eating eggs every day. You can't unscramble your egg. Once you scramble it, you know, good luck if you think you're going to separate it out again. You can't do it. The same thing, you can't go back to your past. Even if you were horrible mean, you know, try to make amends if you can. But you can't just beat yourself up over what you've done. It's gone. He's totally forgiven you. And that is the greatest part of the redemption story, how God can forgive people that we once were. We once were enemies of God. Now we're God's friend. Didn't happen because we were so great. But I always say salvation's leveled the playing field. Rich and poor, small, tall. God's leveled the playing field. We must be born again. He's asked us to accept his free gift of salvation. And he removes our sins. Listen to this. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't remember it once you repent. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't bring it up to beat you up with about your past. Yeah, you could have done better, but you didn't, but you're here now, and then you've got the future. And what the Lord told me when I was going through with this was, you know, be a better person now. Stop thinking about, well, see, we grasp onto the past like it's our badge, like our Girl Scout badge. We grasp onto that, and then we, we fail to do anything about what we can do about it right now. It's really such a trap of the devil. We can be better people today. We can be better moms, dads, brothers, sisters, friends. We can be better people today. Forget about the past. It's gone. But be a better person now. Hebrews 8:12 For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. I'm sorry, but the cat is looking in like he's trying to get this. He ought to listen to it. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. <clears throat> Micah 7:18 and 19 who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. We have a merciful God. He loves us. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't say, whoa, you didn't get saved to your 32, Pat. Huh. No. He was happy the day I got saved. He was thrilled the day you got saved. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the seas. Listen, even if you really messed up yesterday or today, just repent and God forgets about it. And you don't want to be habitual. You don't want to have the other side of it where you're just, well, I can live a sloppy life because God will forgive me. But let's face it, 
We all have bad days. We all have those days. So you just say, God, please forgive me. And if you have to ask somebody else to forgive you, then just do it. And then brush yourself off. Accept what he has offered for you. He died on the cross so that you can have that freedom and that joy. There's no say, I, I, get, I think people sometimes feel guilty because they're happy. You know, if you ever had a bad day and then you repent and then you feel better. And then sometimes that little guilt, well, why should you be so happy? You just, you know, you just yelled at your spouse. You know, why should you? But that's the God we serve is once it's over, it's over with. Never to be brought up again. And that's the kind of people we need to be. Once it's over with, let it go. Move on. Amen? You'll see. It'll let your, it, it get your blood pressure down. It'll do all kinds of great things for your physical body. You hold on to things. You know, arthritis, one of the major causes is holding on to grudges and bitterness. Because it's like this, you know, and you think about it when you see somebody that's got really bad. And that's not the only cause. All right. So if you have arthritis, relax. But, um, you know, it's one of the it's one of cause because you're you see people with their hands like that and they can't get it. It's because they're holding on to something. Just let go of it. Jesus has already paid the price for it and forgive other people. With the servant that was forgiven a lot, and then he wanted turned around and he wanted to be free. He wanted that other man to pay such a tiny amount. Live a happy life. Don't be so, you know, demanding of people. Give them some space to be who they are, and they'll give you space to be who you are. Amen. But Jesus did that. He he gave us he gave us that freedom to be ourselves. He gave us the freedom to have joy and love and peace. Amen? And look what he says in Luke 24:47, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Preach the repentance, the cleansing of the sin. How, how wonderful it is to be forgiven. Amen? Did you ever do something wrong and you got to tell somebody? I'm sorry, I messed up. And all they say is, well, okay, you know, let's just move on from here. Let's let's fix it. And it's like, oh, thank you. Comforting certainty number five. Can you see how all these certainties are kind of woven in together? It's all, all together. That's comforting certainty number five. At the new birth, we became a new creation. Not just a better person. See, religion says you can be a better person. God says you can't be a better person, but I'm going to make you a new creation. And we look at that moth that turns into the butterfly. You know, you think that butterfly is soaring around and everything. You think that butterfly is saying, oh, I wish I was a moth again. I wish I was a worm again. I wish I was crawling around and, you know. No, the moth is enjoying the flight. The moth is going, or the butterfly is going, wee, look at this. This is so cool. And see, we don't want to be worms, right? We want to be butterflies. We want to be that new creation in Christ that God made us to be. He's given us totally, totally different characteristics. Maybe we were sour people before, but now he's given us a chance to have joy. 
it, it's just amazing when you think about the new birth and all the things that God has given us through the new birth. And he didn't have to do one thing. But why did he do that? Because he loves us. Because he wants good for us. Because he knows that's a better way for us. You know, it's amazing to have a clean slate. So any of you out there in Facebook, you're still holding grudges, you're still holding on, just let it go. Amen. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Comforting certainty number six. We kind of touched on this already. We've been forgiven and set free from the guilt and the shame of our past. Once God forgives us, makes us new creation, he cleans the slate of sin that we had. We don't think like we used to think about life. And we begin the process of thinking the way that God thinks and agreeing with his moral standard. He says, renew your mind daily. This is, you need to get into the Bible. You need to not get into a devotional. Devotionals are fine. But you need to get into the word of God. The messages that our consciences receive from our born-again spirit are now purified so we can see right from wrong clearly. But we need to have our consciences purified. The conscience is the soulish area where we make our decisions to act based on our concept of right from wrong. Now, our concept of right, the, the Bible says the laws of God are written on our heart. So when we do make our decisions, they need to be made from a different standpoint when we're a Christian. If we disobey God's laws, our conscience should help us to repent. When you, make a, when you sin, your conscience will be right there to tell you, oops, you better do something about that. Amen? And if you're all not saying amen, then you better work on your conscience. A broken conscience will rationalize, blame, or hide wrongdoing. That's a conscience that's, we call it a dysfunctional conscience. But after we're born again and our consciences are restored to new, they have the unique ability to now become our own condemners if we're not careful. You can have a conscience that is still trying to play the old games on you. Because we used to believe a certain way or do certain things, now we believe and we do things differently. But sometimes the conscience wants to say, oh, you are, look at you now. Huh, going to church. Huh, tithing. Huh, helping out in church. Huh, if they only knew who you were. Huh. And you got to be very careful not to let that little voice of condemnation get a hold of you. You say, no, I'm sorry. It's under the blood, and that's old. God doesn't even see it, and I don't see it. Just tell it to go away. Because our consciences, they're in our soulish area, so they're subject to the, the voice of the devil. He points out past wrongs and sins. You know, and even though your conscience is cleaned up, you can just go, yeah, I, I was pretty. And then we start down the road again, and then we got to clean it up again. Just put it to rest. The old is gone. It's past. We can't do anything about it. Our conscience can become a dictator that tells us you're a bad person. But we can't allow our conscience that. God freed us from that. In his love, he set us free. He can't. We can't allow him the conscience to point to who we were 
and what we used to do. Paul knew this probably better than anybody after he had tried to track down and murder every Christian he could. And I'm sure his conscience tried to bring up his past and humiliate him. But look what he said in Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You're serving the living God. You don't need to be ashamed about anything. You're on the right team. Doesn't matter your past. Doesn't matter. Amen. Even John wrote this in 1 John 3:18 and 22. My little children, let us not love in, in word, neither in tongue, but in deeds and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So see, that whole condemnation trap is just to keep you from having a clean heart to go to God. Because when you go to pray for something and then there's this voice saying, well, how can you ask for that? How can you do that? Look at what you did yesterday. Look at, look at, look at. But no, we should have a pure conscience and go before the Lord. Amen? God is so good. So I'm going to just recap what we did. First certainty, we can be certain that God loves us. Amen? Put it to rest if you're just thinking, you know, that oh, why did they, you know, God, I'm not as special as somebody else. No, God loves you. We can be certain that Jesus is the Son of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We can be certain that God's presence will be with us no matter what, whether, no matter if we feel it or not, we go by what the Word says. And we read all those scriptures that said he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us always. We can be certain that God forgives us totally and that we are free from the sins of the past. You're free. You're free. We can be certain that God makes us a new creation at the new birth, and he equips us to carry out his plan for our lives. Hold your head up high. We've got more things to be certain of. Don't look at the turmoil going on. Become more and more certain of the truths of this Bible. Because God loves you. He cares for you. He's going to be with you. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. We're going to face persecution, but we're going to face it. And we're going to win souls in it. Just like when Stephen was stoned, he won the Apostle Paul. We don't know what's going to happen when persecution comes to us. We don't know who is going to be influenced by our Christian witness. Amen? Will you have a good night? Pastor, do you want me to dismiss or are you going over? Do you have something to add? I always preach sometimes, and somebody got up and said, this is what Brother Clarence was trying to say. (laughs) No, I wouldn't add to that for nothing. We need to know what God's done for us. 
We, our confidence needs to be built in who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I was just sitting there thinking of this old song we sang a lot. But you know what? If it wasn't for Jesus and the blood, and it wasn't for what God did with touching us, making us whole, we wouldn't be what we are. Cause He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me, and He made me whole. Now, this is all of our testimony. Oh, I was shackled by a heavy, heavy burden. Neath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus, He touched me, and now I am no longer the same. Lift your hand and just praise Him. He touched me. Oh, He touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me home. Now we've all got a testimony, amen. Oh, since I met this blessed, blessed Savior, since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease. To praise Him, I will shout it while eternity rolls. Shout it to the Lord. Oh, He touched me. Yes, He touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. You know when the devil says, you didn't feel nothing the other night. You can just say, devil, get out of here. Because I don't walk by feeling, I walk by faith. God's Word declares it. He said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Amen. And we have what God says we have in Jesus' name. Amen. That was good teaching. Amen.
We need to be encouraged in our walk with the Lord and who we are. Don't let the devil tell you you're nobody. You're somebody. (laughs) Amen. We're all somebody in the Lord. Just because somebody's got a title, I'm pastor, and you know that doesn't make me higher up than anybody else. We're all on the same level playing field with the Lord. Amen. God requires me to be obedient in my calling. He requires you to be obedient in your calling. And as we're obedient to the Lord, the blessings of God are going to abound. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Let's remember the services this weekend and just come believe in the Lord. Amen. And tomorrow, Thursday, 1030 for the ladies. And I'll sneak over there and see if there's something I can eat. Hallelujah. I I love those meetings that the women have because they always bring something good. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, let's stand our feet tonight and just worship him. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, let that word sink deep in our hearts and let us just realize that we are victorious in Jesus Christ. And we just give you praise and we give you glory and honor for it in the name of the Lord. Amen. And it was good to see Miss Louise here tonight. Amen. She's looking better every day. Amen. God bless y'all.